May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. In recognition of Fibromyalgia Awareness Week, I wanted to give recognition to three listeners as they share their stories. The first is from Anne in Phoenix, Arizona, and here is what she asked. Working in healthcare, I'm a certified pharmacy technician here in Arizona. Our pharmacy laws are a little more strict, so, you know, you have to go to school, I think, as of 2020 and pass a board exam. Currently, I work in medication therapy management. So I see a lot of patients who pharmacists are being able to counsel on an integrated level over the phone are able to get health history, look at the big picture, and then give patients information to take back to their physician, similar to your podcast almost. You're talking about getting exactly. the history. So when we have fibromyalgia patients deal with coworkers that fully buy into the stigma around fibromyalgia, and I think they assume because I'm in healthcare, I'm healthy, but not so much. And so I've had to, not had to, but I've kept my diagnosis quiet from them because I know their stigma and how they allude to fibromyalgia patients being pain seekers. This is the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician and internal medicine doctor, as well as a clinical lipidologist and a lifestyle medicine doctor. I also am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. Both the book and the podcast take evidence-based solutions, blending the best of lifestyle medicine to help those who are living with fibromyalgia live with less pain, fatigue, and brain fog, and in some cases even reverse fibromyalgia to the levels of those who are unaffected. This podcast is also meant for medical doctors who often have not had much training on helping those with fibromyalgia and related problems, as well as for others on the medical care team to grow in their understanding. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only, All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual doctor. And now on to this week's episode. You're working in a unique position. Many in the classic retail setting are probably very busy filling medications, checking on things. It could be almost like you're on an assembly line, but you have a chance to be part of a program to help coordinate medications, trying to manage heart failure, diabetes, 
kidney problems. There's blood pressure meds, I'm sure, that you're managing. And then on top of that, many people also may have some coexisting fibromyalgia-related problems, right? When the patient's not there, there are comments made from some of the staff, is what you're saying, that allude to less than favorable, maybe unempathetic, and not as compassionate care. So one of the answers that I have to that is sharing the podcast (laughs) (laughs) and sharing the book. One of the reasons why I actually wrote the book and started the podcast is there are three levels of stigma. The two most stigmatized problems I take care of, one of them is fibromyalgia and many mm-hmm. of the related problems, specifically fibromyalgia. Actually, was on a recent podcast as a guest. It was a pediatric podcast. And the host asked me, as mentioned, there's no really test you can do to rule in fibromyalgia. And mm-hmm. I said, there's really no test to rule in a migraine headache, but most <laughs> people don't argue. In fact, right. m- many lay people could have a good guesstimate of what a migraine is, and we don't have a test to rule it in. It's a careful history and a physical exam, and I use that as a comparison. We are just not there with fibromyalgia. So again, there's three levels of stigma, and you tell me what your thoughts and experience are. Number one, actually, it's by patients. I've had many patients who just don't want to believe they have fibromyalgia. They're seeking a holy grail of a diagnosis that's going to explain things. And some of that's fueled by online threads and the lack of good education by the traditional medical community and then many of the alternative medicine community offering some kind of explanation or solution mm-hmm. that may have some help, if not just by having a listening ear. Talked mm-hmm. about that episode going a series I did with chronic Lyme, for example. So one is trying to help patients. So I have patients who have a stigma and they don't want to accept that. If you have fibromyalgia, and I would imagine that you look up your family tree <laughs> and likely there are many people, if unless you have a you're adopted and you don't know your family, that have some form, maybe weren't officially diagnosed and called it chronic arthritis. In fact, my mother, I was born in 1990, but my mother, when I was in my early teens, was starting to read up on her own. And she wrote a book, I'm not 100% sure which one, about fibromyalgia. And I think it was demystifying fibromyalgia, something to that effect. She was reading all about it. She was convinced she had it. At that point in time, the prevalent theory was that it was mineral deposits around certain parts of the body. And she was able to get some guaifenesin from Canada at the time. This was early 2000s, almost, yeah, 90s. She noticed when I was 12, I started showing symptoms of depression and not laziness because I was pretty active as a child, but there was one summer I was down here in Arizona. At the time, I lived in Utah visiting my grandma, and I was laid in bed the whole summer, and they weren't sure 
maybe it's valley fever or this and that, but there, my mom just noticed so many symptoms of hers that she saw in me. And similar to one of your podcast episodes, I think it was the one about the cost of a delayed diagnosis. Yeah, that's one of the first um, ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's in her early 40s having this and she didn't want me to go through it. And so I've always had that in the back of my head. But until about 2018, I hadn't had any severe flares. But February of 2019, I broke my wrist, had to get a steel plate implanted. And that summer, I started noticing my body was hurting more and more. And then unrelated, I thought, <laughs> I was like, I know my mom mentioned that I might just have bad days. because She never really told me at that age that I had fibromyalgia. We're going to switch up your diet. I was a kid. And shares what happened later on in her adult life. So then I had a hysterectomy in 2021 after losing my mom that previous year to esophageal cancer. I think just all of that combined, plus just the stress of quarantine in general, I started having flares so bad that I had to go on leave for quite a bit of time. And that was another thing where when I came back to work, trying to figure out what to say to my coworkers, obviously I'm not obligated to tell them anything. And so sure. I didn't. But at the same point, like, I wish I could tell them what's going on because we work in healthcare. But when I walk into the office, I know that I've experienced it on a professional level too. So I'm already coming into that office ready to tell them about recent blood work. And I've done a lot of research on studies on lotosnaltrexone or just various science facts I can bring to the conversation to say, you may not think this is real, but I know this is real. I have other resources and other providers and science backing me up. And shares the reasons why she had a hysterectomy at such a young age. The reason for that is I had a history of endometriosis. Yeah. The reason we got to that point is not necessarily because of the pain, although obviously that is a factor. It was getting to the point where I was having periods that would last seven weeks straight and I was being iron deficient. And wow. the birth control that they use, a lot of the higher strengths that they use to treat something that severe interfects with my mental health because I have bipolar disorder. So it's another comorbidity where my hormones are messed up, which affects my 
brain chemicals, which affects so many other things. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that was part of it. The treatment of birth control through drugs wasn't working. And also they found an abscess in there. Um, And at that point, after years and years of dealing with endometriosis, they had removed someone. I was 20. It grew back as it does. And I just didn't want to have kids in the first place. (laughs) I'm a lesbian. So there's other options. And so we just made the decision of, and my mom had also had really bad reproductive issues as well. She had her hysterectomy at 38. And shares her journey to try to get help. It's been so much on my mind trying to get treatment lately that I'm just looking for anything. So I yeah. literally dipped into Spotify, fibromyalgia. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that you were a doctor. I was, I have skimmed through some of the episode summaries and I was like, okay, it seems like he is someone who I can listen to without rolling my eyes, maybe. (laughs) And shares why there's sometimes disillusionment by many who are struggling with fibromyalgia. Sometimes when they're selling you something, sometimes they're focused on one treatment is going to fix this all, which also makes me roll my eyes. (laughs) As much as I, there was a, miracle drug I could take that would be nice especially as a pharmacy technician (laughs) and shared what she appreciated about this podcast honestly from the first episode has made me what continue just the fact that when you were a medical student you had the wherewithal to believe a patient to know that they weren't coming in just because they had that Friday off And, like, obviously, the resources may not have been there. The learning wasn't there. The science wasn't there. But you believed that the patient was in actual pain. You knew that they were coming to you for a reason. As someone who so often now has been believed, not believed, um, especially, it doesn't help. And I think this is another factor that goes into fibromyalgia is I think about 70% of fibromyalgia patients are women. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the fibromyalgia starter pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. The studies may vary up to date. Research shows it's probably 60 to 40 ratio of women to men when you're looking at new updated criteria. We went on to talk about the role of audio and visual learning versus reading. The audio. Visual hands-on 
learner often and listening versus having to spend six and a half hours reading through a book. The goal is for patients. It's also meant for their loved ones because people who do not have fibro, and it's called that one of the invisible diseases, is that you can look okay. And many people with fibromyalgia mask very well <laughs> yeah, um, and, we do. <laughs> with other invisible illnesses. And then I wanted this to be a book for doctors mm-hmm. and nurse practitioners and physician's assistants and pharmacists and pharmacy. Mm-hmm. So giving back to help reduce the stigma, I think, is to really increase the education. And then down the road, hopefully, more and more people can have that. So it's a simple goal. I shared that how for many people living with fibromyalgia, trying to get medical care can feel like you're in no man's land where there isn't one doctor who is there to help you. Feels exa- Yes, exactly. Exactly what I am in right now, because no matter... If I go to a primary care provider, they feel inexperienced to treat the fibro. So the rheumatologist almost always makes a diagnosis but never actively manages it. The Mayo Clinic has also done work with fibromyalgia and is trying to help people who have that and has a clinic or system that has. And in fact, there's probably one down in Scottsdale, if I remember right. There is. I was just looking to see if I mentioned I did actually go to Mayo Clinic and that is where I got my diagnosis. So how it happened is other than the fact that I just kept feeling worse and worse, I went to my primary care and because I know a little bit, I was like, can you please run an ANA and an anti-inflammatory test? I am in constant pain. All my normal CBCs, fine. So, you know, I need to look a little further. (laughs) Um, And so she did. And my rheumatoid factor came up extremely high. And so she was like, I think you should probably see a rheumatologist at this point. And because I live in the Phoenix area close to Scottsdale, Fountain Hills, for people who know the area. I looked up my insurance and I was like, Mayo's listed. And so I decided to go there. And she looked at some other factors. My erythrosedimentation rate, still a little too high, as well as my CRP was still a little too high for her to think that my elevated rheumatoid factor was automatically rheumatoid arthritis. So she did a few different touch-based and movement-based diagnostic tools before she got the FIQR sheet out (laughs) and had me fill that out. And she reviewed it and she was like I don't think I've seen someone with this score as high as yours in a while (laughs) and I was like oh okay and she 
mentioned a few options. They do have a really good pain rehabilitation program there that's 13 weeks that they have seen a lot of different patients with various pain disorders see benefit from. Unfortunately, that requires 13 weeks of not getting paid. Depending on FMLA at your company, if you're employed, not everyone in America has the time to dedicate to a pain program like that. And so I think the difficulty with fibro is even if you can work PT into your schedule, you're so much more likely to be sore the next day that just PT is almost debilitating itself. Obviously, the long-term effect is great and it gets easier, but it's something that I couldn't just jump into and still be working full-time. But she said that with the fibromyalgia diagnosis and my psych history, if I were to look at any pharmaceutical treatments for fibromyalgia, I would need to speak with a psychiatrist. And so when I went to the psychiatrist, they looked a little bit like, okay, I guess I understand why they would technically tell you that I would be the one who would need to prescribe drugs related to fibro because there are a lot of them that do have overlap. However, I don't treat fibromyalgia. And so, like you said, it's just that no man's land of, I go here. (laughs) What was your symptoms of growing pains or what was, how do you remember that? Would get missed because I'm (laughs) 5'9". Like you said, definitely legs, somewhat arm, arms. Yeah. What's your sleep? It was bad, but I just assumed that I was a teenager with mental health issues. Of course, I'm not going to sleep well. And then I'm also (laughs) a kid who went from five four in sixth grade to five eight by senior year so yeah I would see how a lot of it gets mixed missed because of yeah and the difference between growth plate problems and what we call restless leg syndrome and periodic limb movement disorder is growth rate problems a growth rate problem growth plate problems occur when you are running and jumping and playing right. volleyball and they're yeah. better when you're resting and actually you felt better when you moved went up and got a glass of water in the middle of the night actually on days in the summer when you were walking around or maybe active you did better and on days when you didn't do as much you slept worse so that's mm-hmm. often missed in this is the treatment and recognition of restless leg syndrome and periodic limb movement disorder it's common 
Now, mm-hmm. you mentioned emotional problems. So your emotional problems already started in middle school, or was that even sooner? Yes, than that? it was sooner than that, yeah. I'm not here to be nosy. I'm not your doctor, but what were yeah. the nature of the issues? I started having avoidance, food, behavior, to the point where my teacher noticed after my grandpa died. 99. So it was the first death I had experienced snowballed because of the fact that I was a kid who got bullied a little bit. And I mean, it was depression for sure, but there's a PTSD element to it that I won't get into. But (laughs) how would you overall describe your academics? I was a wonderful student until high school. And then everything just, if I cared about the subject, I would do well on tests. But I could never get around to finishing homework, either because I was tired after school or I was out talking with friends. But I was also one who went from being that active bike riding child to the introverted teen who likes to read and close out the world because everything's too loud or too bright or there's too much sound around me. Did you have any history of like, when you look back, being maybe more sensitive Exactly. Not just to senses, but even Mm -hmm. emotions. Yes. Maybe looking back at it now of what other people think of you, worrying about being much more critical of yourself, maybe looking back that something maybe was neutral and you would put a negative spin. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm maybe more likely to have body image problems as you're going, thinking that you weren't fitting in. And it sounds like academically, if you were interested in something, you could do better. It -hmm. sounds as a kid, you liked to ride bikes and often and probably until middle school, puberty, et cetera, there wasn't as much click if you probably going around (laughs) If we rode a bike, we rode a bike and there was kids and we were playing and people Mm -hmm. didn't have separate people. And then suddenly there's trying out for sports. When I was a teenager, I wanted to be the soccer person while also knowing I didn't have the energy for it. So it's often a push-pull yin-yang. Part Mm -hmm. of you has this high energy. Yeah. That you want to be active and almost an internal restlessness and urge to have to keep busy and fidget and move. Yet I don't have the energy to do it. Probably emotionally feeling fatigued. Uh, Yeah. Feeling very overwhelmed. And then on top of it, get into high school and you start having what often one of the chapters is called catastrophizing. 
<laughs> yes. is that I've you been through start <laughs> yeah. through catastrophic thinking, which is very mm -hmm. common in those who have yeah. fibromyalgia. So mm -hmm. you lay in bed when you're not distracted by doing the dishes and cleaning and busy work. And then you finally have mm -hmm. to lay down and you have only your only thoughts. And then what often yeah. people will report, and it's often a mischaracterization if you have somebody who's not attuned to listen, but the I have racing thoughts. But it's not the racing thoughts of a bipolar person. It's the racing thoughts yeah. of catastrophic thinking where I have all these different things on my mind. And often well, it's the average human creature's brain is to trend towards negative. Mm -hmm. And if you have fibromyalgia, it's strongly trending in that direction. So then you aren't just thinking about all these fun, exciting things. And I can't wait for this fun trip. We're going to hike in Sedona and it's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. It's more the negative and yeah. now I can't sleep because I can't turn my brain off. And on top of that, my legs bother me and I got to move and I toss and turn. Exactly. Yeah. And I wake up exhausted and I don't have mm -hmm. any energy. Yet I'm restless. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you had emotional problems. Sounds like you had academic problems and focus problems. More of a hands-on learner. Yeah. And I would say in school, I was definitely visual learner. Even up to more recently, it's funny. My first journal entry from when I was seven, I wrote down this little walk I had. But how I wrote it was I took five steps down this way. Then I turned right. I went down that path for two minutes then I turned left <laughs> yeah. and I thought it was just this like great emotional journal post at seven <laughs> and looking back, I'm like, that's so detached and clinical. <laughs> right. Here's the interesting thing about half of people who have fibromyalgia also have ADHD and the higher your fibromyalgia impact questionnaire score is, the much more likely you are to have it. You had said that you had one of the highest scores at a clinic that specializes in fibromyalgia, not just rheumatology, but this is a specialty probably for the whole Metro Phoenix, Southern <laughs> Utah, Western New Mexico area that people come yeah. hundreds of miles probably to, to get evaluated and treatment. And they said you're one of the worst they've had. They did say just... Like recently, but well, <laughs> but it was high. Needless to say, that it was a high yes. score. They weren't like you just yes. you only have a mild yeah. case. You're probably no. fine. And I'm not picking on you, but it was high. So of this course, to validate yeah. that this is a big struggle. This isn't just a minor yeah. nuisance. This is completely life disrupting. Do you remember the score you had roughly? It's zero to a hundred. I realize, yeah, it was. I think it was either eighty-seven or something in the 90s that's high was, yeah, yeah that means that pretty much every question was either an eight or a nine on average and some were exactly. tens some were sevens but there wasn't anything usually under exactly. a five or four how overwhelmed yeah. do you feel on average how mm -hmm. rest ten how, uh, i think i actually have the revised one right now so it's interesting because 
some of these, if I were to hear a patient mention, I would think, oh, yeah, of course. But when I'm looking at it, I'm not really noticing. So, for instance, the very first question is brush or comb your hair. I never thought about the fact that the reason I put my hair in a bun is because it's difficult. I just did it and got so used to doing it that I didn't really realize why I was doing it until I tried the other day. And I was like, yeah, my shoulders hurt moving to get the brush around everything. And then the repeated up and down. And yeah, it's a lot easier to just grab your hair, put it back, do the little twist, and then you're done. (laughs) Did you ever get diagnosed with ADHD? So I'm taking Concerta. (laughs) Yes, I don't know if they 100% want to give me the diagnosis with my other diagnoses, but... They believed it enough. Concerta. What is it for? It's for ADHD. ADHD. Exactly. So that's what I say when I haven't technically been told the diagnosis, but I know an ICD code for. (laughs) Did they give it to you? Yeah. (laughs) Did they give you the diagnosis of ADHD? No, No, they did did not tell me. So when you asked, "What is this medicine for?" What did they tell you? You mentioned that you have hypersomnolence. You can't focus. This and that. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And they didn't go higher? No. Because they're afraid you're going to go manic. But Correct. It's not, so finishing up here, some thoughts. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. You're actually on medicines that I use for my patients. The problem is right. that the fine-tuning of managing it, it's, people don't know how to manage some of these. And maybe they're scared. And so part of yeah. that can be okay, we need to actually probably increase the dose to a more appropriate dose for ADHD. You need to probably go up a notch on your nighttime. You probably need a booster dose like you would for somebody to try. And then you have information. If you just understand what's going on, it reduces your symptoms by 25%. And then you throw in pacing with exercise, consistently eating healthier, then having proper man adjusting the doses and what i think that the solution for people like yourself i have somebody from like i said new zealand charlotte north carolina maryland california they're all asking do you know anybody who does what you do by me and shared her experience with opioid prescriptions in light of a recent surgery with the stigma around opioid use my pain is so high i'm asking right now But my pain has been so high recently that I've thought several times about going to the ER. But I know that once any sort of mention of came in asking for opioids because of fibromyalgia is on my chart, that it's over. They're not going to help me with all the laws restricting. And the laws should restrict But when I had my surgery for my arm, they put a, like, steel plate in and everything. They gave me five Percocet. And that was it. And that's standard. 
most people. Okay, good. That's okay, everybody. Good. good. And that's the, the younger doctors who are coming out have come in training and they have that because every pill of an opioid you take, I think it like increases your chance of becoming addicted by a few percent. So that that's is, fair. that's a real thing. And most I think people, the, yeah, I think my issue is I'm old enough where I remember back in, let's see, I was technically an adult. So I guess 2010, maybe I went to my primary care provider for strep and I left with 30 Vicodin. I recognized very early Oxycontin in the early 2000s was addictive and seeing mm-hmm. that. So I, I got, I said, I don't care what the drug reps are saying. I'm never writing another script, but I do. But I, in fact, I think a lot of people who are chronic opioid users, whether legally or illegally actually have mm-hmm. fibromyalgia. Right. And need to get help, so to speak. And, and that- get diagnosed and they aren't having it. They're just called that. And they fall into that pleasure trap of trying to get something. And I a hundred percent agree with the other question that you had, which was what about opioids? Definitely opioids should not be used for chronic non-cancer pain. Exactly. Patient, patient dying of esophageal cancer. That's a different story, but it does not help in the long term. It has terrible side effects. In fact, if you want to listen to a cool story that mm-hmm. you can fall asleep to, listen to Jake. Challenge accepted. <laughs> listen to Jake. Uh, okay. part one, Jake, it's the most recent episodes, part one and two. Okay. It's a happy story because okay. he gets Great. better. He Good. gets better. And, I can't imagine that. That's what and, I want. <laughs> and if you want to listen to Teresa's story of success, he gets, she gets better. She's in, you can see Teresa's story, Adam's story. These are real people. Do you have a magic cure? No. Exactly. <laughs> it's But it's multiple things, and it requires a comprehensive approach. Exactly. And, I, and I'm trying to do my best. In the end, what I can do with the podcast and the book, one is you're going to a minimum feel validated for what you've had yeah. to live through and endure that it's real. And then you're going to find meaningful understanding and a multifaceted look and approach to this. But mm-hmm. I do recognize then it does often require not just it's a, like I say in the podcast, I try to blend the best of medical management and lifestyle medicine. And yes, there are some behavioral things you can do with sleep and exercise and eating healthy diet and stress management and all of that. But There's going to be also often medications, but they can't just be used haphazardly. I think I mentioned it in the question as well, the duloxetine, and it just hasn't remotely touched my pain. And I had put so much hope on, you know. And so when you look at the approach, duloxetine may give 20, 30 percent improvement. It gives me zero. (laughs) And sometimes it gives in the studies no improvement. But the only way you would know is if you were doing fibromyalgia impact questionnaires. Yeah. And you could see before. And maybe, and sometimes you go, I guess I was a 92 and it dropped to an 80, which means my average score went from a nine to an eight. 
that's actually 12% improvement or 14. Okay, maybe it helped a little. Well, I started counting my steps and I paced myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, okay, then I adjusted the nighttime and the sleep. Oh, I finally got my ADHD diagnosed and treated with an appropriate dose. That's during the day. And I get on 54 milligrams of Concerta and I do 20 milligrams of methylphenidate. And oh my gosh, I feel calm. I don't mm-hmm. feel overwhelmed. I actually mm-hmm. feel like going for some walks, but I'm pacing myself. I'm doing self-care. And self-care requires a lot of doing your own homework. These are all the response to those questions that you have. What are some things that you've gotten from this conversation? So even just from the first episode that I listened to, because it was short and sweet (laughs) (laughs) yesterday, just hearing a doctor understand show empathy show a history of empathy not try and tell me that there's this one cure or this one drug i wish you did but unfortunately (laughs) the reality is what it is and i feel a lot more hopeful and there was a point fall of 2021 where I just you know you mentioned the catastrophizing of course but it got to the point where I was in so much pain every day it felt never ending it felt like no matter what I did it wasn't going away everyone is at a different level of fibromyalgia the stories of many of you who are listening resonate with Anne's journey or have a loved one who has gone through similar difficulties. I hope hearing her story makes you feel at a minimum validated and inspired to continue to grow in your understanding of fibromyalgia. With that, you can shift some of the locus of control to yourself and have insights that you can use to self-advocate at your next doctor visits using a comprehensive approach. No one's journey is the same and neither is one's path to recovery and improvement. The purpose of the book and the podcast are to help you live the best life possible with fibromyalgia and related problems. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please hit the like or follow button. That way more people can easily find the podcast. We will hear two more stories from listeners during this special Fibromyalgia Awareness Week. Until next week, go Team Fibro!